First John chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, our message entitled, What About the Antichrist Spirit? John has two families in mind when he writes his epistle, the children of God and the children of the devil. Um, he focuses on this in chapter 2, verse 29, to chapter 4, verse 21. John has just finished dealing with the assurance of salvation here at chapter 3, verse 19 through 24. And the first part of verse 24 says that God makes himself at home in us and us in him because we keep his commandments. The second part of verse 24 says that the evidence of God dealing with us is that his spirit has uh, been given to us. This is a transitional verse to introduce his new section of the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John will focus on the Holy Spirit versus the spirit of error, the test of discernment, here in chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. We're going to focus only on the first three verses. Now, God gives to us the Holy Spirit only because we believe in all that the name of Jesus Christ stands for. And the Holy Spirit will illuminate and defend all that the name stands for, for he will not speak of himself, Jesus said. He only speaks of Christ. We are to live in the light, not in darkness. We are to live in the world, but not of the world. We are to live in the spirit of truth, not by the spirit of error. So John turns again to the doctrinal test, but looks at it from the viewpoint of the spirit behind it, the source, Antichrist spirit. John commands the believer to examine the spirit of all teaching in order to confirm that it is the spirit of God, which is characterized by three things here in verse 1 through 3. First, the command to test the spirit, verse 1. Second, we have the clear test of the spirit. In verse 2, and the first part of 3. And thirdly, you have the confident identity of the Spirit, the rest of verse 3. The command to test the Spirit comes first in verse 1. Um, the imperative command is to cease a practice that was going on at that time, dealing with inspiration. Listen to his words. Beloved, do not believe Every spirit. That's what was going on. The one being addressed is the believer, as you know. The word beloved is the term of endearment uh, to one who you love, you're concerned about. And the word appears five times in First John. 3, 2, 21, 4, 1, verse 7, and 11. It's key. Now, the negative command is a positive warning by reproving them you as a parent know that you reprove your child negatively because you want a positive you want the benefit for them they were not to believe every spirit that, that was from god in the greek literally it says stop believing every spirit the implication is obvious some of the believers were believing what the gnostics were saying as from god there's a lot of people like that. They just accept everything. They don't check anything. The Gnostics were saying they were prophesying by the Spirit of God. 
They were saying that they were teaching under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. They were probably prefacing it by, Thus saith the Lord. None of that means nothing. It's what follows, the content that's important. Notice the command is to be discreet in what they believe. But test the Spirit whether they are of God. Today they call us legalistic because we want to examine doctrine. Do you not examine the food you put in your mouth? Would they call you your legalist? Your self-righteous pig? You just you discern what you put in your, in your mouth? Hmm. The word but there marks the sharp contrast between the practice of some to accept everything as from God. And what all believers should be doing, being discreet and discerning. The believer, notice, on the positive side, was to test the spirits. The word test there means to prove or examine this being the only appearance in the epistle here. The word is used to prove or confirm something good in motive or hope by standing the test not to condemn, but approve as genuine or the proving of metals also it's used. You put metals under heat. Gold, silver, to prove the genuineness of the purity of them. The Apostle Paul used the word for the test of the Christian's works at the Bema Seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3.13. Another word in the Greek is used to test and find wanting. You see, the believer would, as a result, discover if the prophets were speaking under the inspiration of God. When you discern what they're saying and compare it to the scriptures, you're going to be able to say, that man is speaking God's word, that is God's word, or you say, that man is not speaking by the Spirit of God, and that is not God's word. You have not only that responsibility, but you have the privilege and ability to do so. The word they refers to the prophets and the source of the Spirit can always be known by the content, once again, spoken. The content of the message must be examined against the Scriptures, the plumb line. The Spirit of God does not contradict the written word. They are one. The Spirit and the word are one. It's the Spirit who reveals the word. 2 Peter 1, 20-21, under the inspiration, the men of old did not speak of their own impulse or origin, but they spoke as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. So what you have in your lap is God's inerrant, infallible truth. Notice still in one, the command is accompanied with the reason. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now John is talking 2,000 years ago. Do you think we don't have any need of this today? Do you think they're not around? <laughs> right. The number of false prophets in the world are, notice, mark it well, underline it, many, many. The phrase is made up of two words. False prophets. False, meaning lying and deceitful. And prophet, 
a person inspired by a spirit. In this case, a deceptive spirit speaking by a person a false revelation. The arena of their practice, notice, is the world, cosmos. It's used in the sense of the inhabited earth among the people who do not know God or are of God. John used the word 22 times in this letter. The lifestyle of the world, 1 John 2, 15 and 16. The oneness of the world in 1 John 4, 5. The protection from the world in 1 John 5, 4. So we live in the world, but not of the world. Remember, the boat belongs in the water, but when the water gets in the boat, the boat gets in trouble. The prophets John indicates were Gnostics. They were saying they knew God. They were saying they walked with God. They were saying they were from God. They were saying um, uh, that the world was his, but they were speaking the spirit of air. So there's a contradiction in what they say and what the word of God says. Inconsistencies. You remember God sent a young prophet to confront Jeroboam at the altar of Bethel. And, um, and after he, he gave the proclamation of God's judgment, the altar cracked and everything else. And the king asked him to go back with him. He said, no, no, God told me not to. He went around. There was his old prophet and came around and asked where he was. He went, hey, listen, come and, come and eat in my house. No, no, God told me not. No, I'm a prophet too. And an angel of God appeared to me and told me to tell you to come with me. So the guy went out there and everything else. And God said, I'm going to kill you because you disobeyed me. Remember, he took off and then a lion killed him. And he didn't touch the donkey he was on to make sure that they knew it was God's judgment on him, not the donkey. Now, that, that prophet should have known. God told him not to do certain things. This prophet told him something contrary to what God told him. You know how often people do that all the time? They read the Word of God, they study the Word of God, and then they'll believe somebody who says something completely contrary to the Word of God. Hmm. Some people are very gullible, accepting everything without testing the source. They're unlearned and undisciplined in their lives, being carnal. They often believe when signs and wonders are manifested that that's a valid credential of being from God. Well, Nicodemus said that to Jesus too in John 3, 2. He said, we know you're a man for God because God cannot, no man can do the things that you do. Is that a biblical truth? No. The Antichrist is going to do miracles. Is he from God? No. If the miracles go along with the word of God and don't contradict it, then it'll be God. All right? But signs and wonders and miracles of themselves are, don't guarantee they're from God. The man of sin, the Antichrist, will perform signs and wonders. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. The false teachers or prophets say many biblical truths and other truths. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. So false teachers and false prophets, they will say a lot of accurate truth, but it's a little poison. You know, if I offer you a glass of water and I just put a couple of drops of Sinai in it, but I don't tell you, and you look at me and say, well, what you put it on? Oh, never mind, look at all the water in there. False doctrine is worse. 
Somebody put some cyanide in your water, you die physically. You embrace false doctrine, you, you die eternally. You miss heaven. Wow. This command was nothing new. God had commanded the same thing in the Old Testament, as you know. The prophets spoke. If it didn't come to pass, then they were presumptuous and they were to stone them. Deuteronomy 18.22. The command against false prophets was to put them to death. Deuteronomy chapter 13.1-5. Now, I'm not suggesting that people would be put to death. That was the Old Testament. But that's how serious God is about his word. But we're to expose them. We're not to go along with them. We shouldn't be afraid to mention their names over the pulpit to warn the people of God. Why do people get mad when I mention names? Do you not mention names when your son is growing up and your daughter and you know Johnny down the street is a rat and you mention his name? You don't tell your son, I don't want you hanging out with you know who. Who am I? No, you, you know who. No, no, no. You say, Johnny. You mention his name. Is it because you hate Johnny or because you love your son? Wow. King Jehoshaphat and Ahab inquired of the prophet as to the outcome of their victory and God put a lying spirit in their mouth because they just were open. God gives people over. Zedekiah the false prophet made horns of iron and they would push Syria back and consume them in 1 Kings 22. Micaiah, God's prophet, gave the vision of Israel, scattered his sheep, having no shepherd. And he says, didn't I tell you he didn't like me? He always prophesied negative towards me. At the command to put Micaiah in jail, he said, if I ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. If you return, he says, take heed to all the people. First Kings 22. Wow. Prophets couldn't be mistaken. They couldn't uh, have errors. If it didn't come to pass, they were false prophets. God's prophets weren't 99% accurate. 100% accurate. Jeremiah was opposed by many false prophets, as you know, when we went through it. In um, 25.4, says, And the Lord has, has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. Nothing new. Look at all the thriving heresy within the church, all the positive confession, all the emergentism, labyrinths, relativism, new age mixture, Christian yoga, Christian psychology. Yeah? Wow. Hmm. Jeremiah 26, 5 says, To heed the word of my servants, the prophets whom I sent to you, both rising early and sending them, but you have not heeded. And we can go on and on in Jeremiah over and over and over again. He just warned them and they just beat them. They threw them in jail. They, they put them down this Mari cistern and, and uh, they called them a traitor. Amazing. The New Testament is equally clear on the matter of false prophets. The Spirit of God will always be scriptural, not the author of confusion, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 13. There are many other lying spirits, spirits of error, he says here in verse 6 of chapter 4. 
They are manifested through false prophets and teachers, self-will and sensual. Second Peter 1 through 3 tells us in the rest of the chapter there. It's a key chapter in Peter. Listen to him. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring in themselves with destruction. And many, underline that, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. They will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time. Their judgment has not been idle, and the destruction does not slumber. From within the church, they will have great followings. Paul told Timothy, now the Spirit expressly says, or clearly, that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, or literally demons speaking through, through pastors, quote, quote, pastors. <laughs> wow. Paul tells Timothy, people will have itchy ears and be attracted to false doctrine. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, we're in the midst of heresy within the church. The major Christian universities, the seminaries, Fuller Seminary, Claremont Seminary, APU. Just pull up APU on the, on the website. See all the turmoils going on there with their relativism and their liberalness and their permissiveness or homosexuality and everything else contradicting the scriptures. Wow. Amazing. Paul tells Titus that heretics are to be rejected after the second time being warped and self-condemned in Titus 3, 10 through 11. Well, why do we get mad when people uh, uh, warn us? When people point out to deceivers and false doctrine. It's the politically correctness from within the church. Oh, you're just unloving. You're just a bitter old man. You're just whatever. Self-righteous. All right. Maybe I'll see you in heaven. Maybe I won't then. Bottom line. Now my heaven. I'm not worried about it. It's yours. The command was to test the spirits of doctrine. This is taught. Secondly, notice verse 2, down to the beginning of 3. The clear test of the spirit. The true test of the Holy Spirit is a matter of revelation. Look, listen to the words. By this you know the spirit of God. The knowledge of the spirit of God is known by being a child of God. The word again is gnosko. And it means knowledge of personal experience once you're born again. Uh, the quest of the believer is to verify the Spirit of God as the source behind what is being taught. That's why you bring your Bibles. That's why you crack them open. That's why when I'm teaching, you are examining things. The seeker-friendly church, the emergent church, they don't even carry Bibles. They don't even come in with Bibles. I know some people have their phones, but they're not even doing that. Okay. The standard is not feelings, emotions, or mystical gibberish. The Holy Spirit of God refers to the third person of the Holy Spirit, as you know. He is called the Spirit of Truth. He is in the believer by the new birth. 
He testifies of Jesus, not himself. He guides us and shows us things to come. He glorifies Christ. That is why Jesus said it was expedient that he go away so that the Holy Spirit could come. Otherwise, we would be defenseless. You find all this in John uh, 14, 15, and 16, the night before he was betrayed. He spoke on the Holy Spirit. Important chapters. The believer has the Holy Spirit. Listen to Romans 8, 14 through 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. There's a relationship. We are sealed with the spirit of promise, the earnest, the Erebon, identifying Mark, depositing the engagement ring, if you will of our inheritance to the purchased possession, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, 2 Corinthians 1, 22. The seal, like when a person sent a slave down to the port and all of, his, all of his merchandise had his seal on it. And whenever the servant saw the seal of his master, those things belonged to him. That was the identifying mark. Notice the acid test of the Spirit of God regards the nature of, of the first coming of Jesus. Mark it well. Look at verse 2. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So the test is inclusive of all the spirits. All spirits. No one can say or be the exception Everyone must believe that Jesus came in his first coming in the flesh. The phrase, by this you know, is an imperative. This is the way you know. The word confesses, you know, homologio means to say the same thing as another. You agree. All spirits have to agree that the word of God about Jesus is accurate if it's of him. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, the same spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't confuse us, doesn't give contradictory revelation. It's all the same. All spirits have to agree with the words of scripture. The agreed confession regarding the incarnation is the heart of the issue. John has offered many tests, doctrinal, moral, social, but this is the heart of all Tests. Jesus, as we have seen, is the human name for the Messiah. Gabriel gave it to Mary in Matthew 121. It means Yahweh's salvation. It affirms his humanity. He had a human birth, an earthly existence. He walked, he ate, he thirsted, he tired, he slept, he bled, he died. Christ is the title of God's anointed, Christos. The anointed of God. It indicates his deity. The promised Messiah. One person with two natures. 100% God, 100% man. Yet without sin. Two natures. And did everything as man depending on the Father. Not through his deity. Otherwise, we would not be able to do what he did. But he did it trusting and depending and praying to the Father. As the last Adam. The word come. Is in the perfect tense. Not only that the 
in, uh, he inhabited a body of flesh, but that it has become his permanent possession. The Gnostics that were deceiving Christians did not believe this. They denied that Jesus had a body. It seemed like he had a body, they said. The Vulgate says, every spirit that separates Jesus from the Christ is not of God. The fathers of the church, Irenaeus, Tertullian, and many others. Notice the testimony of the Jews reveal they believe the Messiah to come was to be the Son of God incarnate by the prophets. Let me give you some scriptures. John 5, 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, being about Jesus, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. They understood him clearly who he said he was. Matthew 26, 63. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Matthew 26, 63. He said, yes. You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Matthew 27, 40. That's exactly why he couldn't come down, because he was saving others. As the God-man. Listen to the testimony of Paul. It's no different. In uh, Romans chapter 1, 2 through 4, Paul emphatically points, uh, pointed both humanity and deity out of the, op the opening there of Romans, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning this, his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, his humanity, and declared to be the Son of God, his deity, with power according to the spirit of holiness by this resurrection from the dead. All the writers of the New Testament confirmed this. They believed it. A body has thou prepared for me to do your will, O God. Hebrews 10.5 The failure to pass the acid test confirms the spirit to be a false spirit. Look at the beginning of verse 3. And every spirit, not some, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. The all-inclusiveness is marked again by the word every spirit. It's emphatic in the Greek. Every person saying they are speaking for God is subject to the acid test. Every person speaking can be judged to see if the spirit they are speaking by or through is from God. No person speaking by the spirit can call Jesus a curse. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. It's a contradiction. The criteria, notice, is the same as verse 2. The person who does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh... Is not of God. The word confess again, like in verse 2, means to say the same thing. And the word come, once again, is in the perfect tense. Not only that he inhabited a body of flesh, but 
that it has become his permanent possession. Do you realize the God-man is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, waiting for his Father to make his enemies a footstool, and he bears the marks of the cross? Isaiah says when we see him, there is no beauty in him that we should desire him. When he saw Thomas, he says, here's my hands, my feet, here's my side. He was in a glorified body, ladies and gentlemen. Still bearing the marks. He took his precious blood and put it at the altar of heaven. That's where it's at. That you and I might be forgiven. Wow. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and God was the Word. John 1, 1. And the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. Who being in the form of God, He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Philippians 2, 6 says. The word being there isn't called an antecedent condition. It means that He was God before He came. He was God when He was here and He's God when He left. He never became less than God. Though he still became man without sin. He remained being God all along. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 says, But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable, let me give you the better word, untransferable, no more priest, he's the last priest. Therefore, he is also able to serve or to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. The priesthood, you know, was the Levitical priesthood, right? Through Aaron, right? They were the tribe of Levi. Jesus was after the order of Melchizedek, a more perfect priesthood. He was the tribe of Judah, not Levi. Wow. Jesus is the God-man, the only meteor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.5 Mary cannot save you, Peter cannot save you, the Pope cannot save you, your mom cannot save you. Your works cannot save you. Only Jesus Christ. The purpose of his coming was to be the propitiation for the entire world. As you know, he became sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The propitiation for the world, not only the world, but for our sins also. In 1 John 2.2 That which satisfied the wrath of God. It met the need. He justified before God. Romans 5.1 and 2 He tasted death for every man, destroying he who had the power of death. In Hebrews 2.9 and 14 He's the only way, the only name, the only mediator. John 14, 6, Acts 4, 12, and 2 Timothy 2, 5. Only name, only way, only mediator. Pretty narrow to me. Pretty clear to me. Paul put it this way. When the fullness of time had, was come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Right on time. Now the Gnostics were not of God. Their name comes from the word in the Greek, gnosis, to know. 
Knowledge was key to the religion. There were at least three groups that we know. They were called the docete, from the word dokeo, to seem or appear, and they denied Christ had a human body. They said that when he walked in the sand, he didn't leave footprints. Okay. A subgroup believed he had a body, but denied that it was material. So you get a little twist there. Then you have the Corinthian Gnostics declared that Jesus and Christ were distinct. Jesus was an ordinary man, the son of Joseph and Mary. And Christ was the spirit of power from God that descended upon him at his baptism and left them at the crucifixion prior to the cross. How interesting. So you just have a martyr dying. Not the God-man for the sins of the world. You see, what they say, you can examine the scripture. They're liars. They're false. The Corinthian Gnostics had a twisted theology. They believe all matter was evil and that knowledge was superior to faith. They boasted of special revelation, no seas, by climbing up these emanations to God. So matter is evil, spirit is good. So if God came, he couldn't occupy matter because matter is evil. You get the logic? But, but it's full of cracks. They believed that the world was created by one of these emanations that radiated out from God. And it became so distant from God that that emanation was the one responsible for the creation of everything. Wow, that beats evolution, doesn't it? You see, you can't come up with this stuff. You have to be taught this stuff. Not one of us would have ever come up with the hypothesis of the evolutionary process. Unless it was taught to us. There's no way. Not by looking at creation. Not by looking at nature. Irenaeus, the second century church father, gave his uh, in-depth analysis of why God was in Christ. Listen carefully, I'm quoting him. Irenaeus described the work of Christ under various aspects. The premise is always the reality of the divinity and humanity of the Savior. Only upon this basis could he furnish certain deliverance and deliver the particular race of man. Christ, therefore, became man in order to recapitulate the whole human race in himself. He embraces in himself the entire human race and all human life. When he became incarnate and was made man, he recapitulated in himself the long line of men, standing surety in compendium for our salvation, so that what we lost in Adam, our being in the image and likeness of God, this we might receive in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's what the Bible teaches. The different views of Jesus in his own day are crazy. They're antichrist spirit. Listen. They, they said that Jesus was the son of Joseph. They're denying his deity. They said that Jesus was an illegitimate child. They said that Jesus was from the devil. They said Jesus was a teacher sent from God. A mere teacher. That Jesus was a prophet, just a mere prophet. That Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead. 
or even Elijah. All of those are not biblical. Sounds spiritual, but they're not biblical truth. The Jehovah Witness believe Jesus is a created angel, the heresy of Arius, Antichrist spirit. Arius was a presbyter or elder in Alexandria, 280 AD. Uh, he declared that Christ is the first of created beings, denying him deity and the Trinity. In 321 AD, Arius was excluded from the communion of the church. In 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea, Athanasius uh, prevailed over Arius, and he and two of his followers were banished to Illyria. The teaching of Arius that denies the deity of Jesus Christ, professing that he was created and exalted, was condemned. At the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, the doctrine of the deity of Christ and the Trinity were confirmed and formulated into what is known as a Nicene Creed. Today, we have similar groups embracing this heresy in Unitarianism, Jesus only, or oneness, or the doctrine of the JWs, Jehovah Witnesses, Antichrist spirit. Mormons failed the acid test about Jesus, Antichrist spirit. Mormons teach Jesus was half-brother to Satan. Many Mormons don't know that. They don't read their own writings. Mormons teach salvation is based on believing in Jesus Christ as they define him, contrary to the scriptures and continuing membership in the Mormon Church of the Latter-day Saints. If you abandon them, then you're marked as an apostate. They are deceivers and liars. Antichrist. One of the doctrines of the faith movement is that Jesus went down to hell and suffered at the hands of Satan to make payment for sin to Satan. Blasphemous. Copeland, Hagen, Fred Price, Hagee, all of them. Wow. Where do they come up with this stuff? They teach we're little gods and have for a long time. That experience is equal to scripture in their teaching inspired as prophets, barking in the spirit, drunk in the spirit, and whatever. Foolish, extreme Pentecostalism. Like a circus. People don't judge things. We've heard of Jim Jones, David Koresh, right? They didn't get there overnight. But they got there. Because they didn't examine the scriptures. First Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. First Timothy three sixteen. An interesting little study you should do that. Take the three sixteens of every book. Three sixteen of every book in the New Testament. It's a great study. Listen to first John five, nineteen through twenty. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, Satan. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us 
an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. A different Jesus from the scriptures is another gospel. And Paul says, let him be anathema, antichrist spirit. Galatians 1, 6 through 9, he says it twice. Anathema. We're to be good Bereans. Examine, find out those things are so in Acts 17, 11. Always. And so the clear test of the spirit was based on the first coming of Jesus. Notice thirdly, we have the confident identity of the spirit. The rest of three. The corrupt spirit is of the Antichrist and must be a matter of proclamation. Listen to his words. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, what he's been talking about. He names it here. John could have said, and, and, and you, you, know, you know what kind of spirit it is. You know, it's, it's the, the other one from the Holy Spirit. You know, no, 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 he, he names it. The Antichrist spirit. John is not talking about the person of the Antichrist that is coming in the future during the seven-year tribulation. John has already mentioned his coming. John told him two things about the Antichrist in, in chapter 2, verse 18, that it was the last hour and that they had heard the Antichrist is coming. But now he's talking about the spirit of Antichrist. The ultimate manifestation of the Antichrist will be during the tribulation period. When the church is raptured, he will appear as a man to have a solution for the whole world. One world empire. One world, uh, he's going to rule it completely. The whole world's pushing to that. In fact, next week I'm going to talk to you about what about the one world mindset. Okay? What's going on? The Old Testament confirms these two truths. Jeremiah tells of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Daniel gives the 70th week in Daniel 9, 27. Those were all the seven years tribulation when the Antichrist will rule. The New Testament taught these two truths. Paul says the Antichrist will declare himself to be God in the temple that he built in Jerusalem in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. He'll enter in, declare himself to be God. Jesus called this time the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, 15. So the literal Antichrist is coming it's in the future, but he's talking about the Antichrist spirit that's existed at his day and still exists today. John is talking about the spirit of Antichrist. Notice the common understanding about the spirit of Antichrist was familiar knowledge to them. This wasn't anything new. They knew it. Listen to his words, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. John has already stated earlier regarding the spirit of Antichrist in chapter 2, verse 18. Even now, every Antichrist, um, many Antichrists have come. And you have Antichrist Epiphany, you have Nero, you have many types. By which we know that it is the last hour. Note the spirit. We have men like Hitler, Stalin, Saddam Hussein, and many others. John told them the spirit of Antichrist was already in the world. 
all rejecting the scriptural view of Jesus, all making Jesus less than the testimony of scripture, the placing of the word already at the end of the final sentence makes it emphatic about the presence of the Antichrist spirit, even now. Emphatic. The Apollinarians, a group of men, denied the total human nature of Christ in the latter part of the 4th century. The Apollinarians was a distinguished bishop of Laodicea in the Asia Minor who adopted the distinction between the trichotomy of man, which means threefold, that man had a body, soma, a soul, suki, and the spirit, um, uh, numa. Okay? He accepted Jesus, had the first two, body and soul, but denied the rational spirit, believing the divine logos took its place and supplied the human intelligence. So again, you rearrange things. You don't go by what the word of God says. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. You're an inferior trinity. There's the argument, are we dichotomous or trichotomous? The Bible teaches body, soul, spirit. When I die, this funky body is going to go to the ground. My spirit is instantly present. My soul is my intellect, emotion, and will. They're part of me, but they're distinct from the spirit and the body. All right? You're not two-thirds of a person. You're three persons. Now, you're a trinity, but you never introduce you. Hi, my name is Xavier. This is Xavier body, Xavier soul, Xavier spirit. No. Okay? He, therefore, could not accept two natures of, in one person. Therefore, they profess that Reason in man is part of the divine logos. See, it sounds so smart, but it's stupid. Making the only difference between God and man and intelligence quantitatively. He was condemned by the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, the Laodicea. Now, there were some called Nestorians. Nestorians were bishops of Constantinople in the early part of the 5th century. And he rejected Apollinarianism. So he, he was against the one we just talked about. He objected to the phrase, Mother of God, given to Mary by the monks. He denied the twofold nature of Jesus. He declared the logos indwelt man, like, much like the spirit indwells the believer. And he said the divine person of Christ was not subject to birth through Mary, that a human person suffered for the salvation of man while the divine person did not. How, how do you do that? He's up on the cross. Nestorius did not believe in the God-man, but in God-bearing man who brought about salvation while excluding the divine nature from the plan and execution of salvation. Minute little differences that make a chasm between truth and error. 431 A.D., Nestorius was banished to this, at the Synod of Ephesus. There's the Eutychians. Um, Eutyches was kind of an overzealous Cyrillian who um, overreacted to Nestorianism, the ones before, and carried the deification of Christ's humanity to such extremes that he taught Christ's body was not of the same nature as ours. Didn't he tell Thomas 
Here, touch my hands. You guys have fish? Let me eat. <laughs> Eutychus, who headed the monastery in Constantinople, taught that the divine and the human combine into one resulting in a, uh, what they call tertium quid, a third nature. That's a good one. Try that one out for size. He insisted so much on keeping the two natures separate that he sacrificed the oneness of Christ's person and the human nature of Christ by deifying the human nature and body of Christ. They were often called monophysites by reducing the two natures into one, mono, one. It turned to teaching of Christ that he had but one will, which would constitute but one nature called the monothites doctrine. He was condemned at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD. And in 681 AD at the Council of Constantinople, at the Sixth Ecumenical Council, the doctrine was established. This is the teaching of the Unification Church, by the way. These things are still around, ladies and gentlemen. John Dewey, familiar name to you if you're in any uh, form of education, was one of the most influential of all, born in 1859 and died in 1952, two years after I was born. One put it this way, John Dewey became America, America's most influential humanistic educator. He refined James' pragmatic philosophy and combined it with all the previous humanistic movements and made them into his so-called progressive education, otherwise known as instrumentalism. Dewey's new uh, brand of secular education became the instrument through which Western mankind was thoroughly humanized. By the beginning of the 20th century, Western man was confident of his abilities, quite independent of reliance on or assistance from any supernatural power to solve all of the problems and attain the goals inevitable for the universal perfection. The Humanist Manifesto, too, you can go online, you can read it, was molded after John Dewey's Humanist Manifesto of 1933, and it attacks God, the Bible, and any life of faith of Orthodox Christianity. Listen to just a few quotes, and I'm quoting now. Quote, promise of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation are both illusory and harmful. They should be condemned. They perform a disservice to the human species because they distract humans from present concerns, from self-actualization, and from rectifying social injustices, it warned. Wow. The manifesto asserted in a hollow way that the good life is here and now indeed Reason and intelligence are the most effective instruments that mankind possesses. Wow. That is the heart of all public school education 
and more so in the universities, and it's very evident today. The bottom line is that what you say and believe about Jesus, the ultimate result is that the, he who denies the Son, the same forfeits the Father. He has said that in chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, verse 26, and chapter 3, verse 23. Listen, he says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Is that clear? Jesus not only came in flesh the first time, as John says, he's coming in the flesh a second time and is very stern about what is taught and believed about Jesus. Listen to Second John chapter 1, verse 7 through 11. Only one chapter. By many deceivers, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ, listen, as coming in the flesh. This is the second coming. We touched the first coming in First John. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive the full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. If you don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, the first coming, the second coming, the virgin birth, and everything he teaches, then you're literally against Christ. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ as both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Those are pretty heavy words. Jesus says, false prophets are wolves in sheep's clothing. Matthew 7, Matthew 24. Paul tells us the Thessalonians that the test of all things we should do all the time. Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 20 and 21. Test all things. They had been deceived by thinking the day of the Lord had come in 2 Thessalonians 2. 2. They hadn't examined it. Paul tells the Corinthians, examine yourselves. See if you're in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. Paul warned and prophesied about the deception of the elders at Ephesus, speaking perverse things, bringing disciples to themselves. In Acts 20, 28 through 30, the word perverse means distort, to corrupt. They would do it, drawing disciples to themselves. It is spiritual warfare against principalities and powers, dominions of darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, Ephesians 6, 12. The confusion that every person has to agree with and confess is the one Peter made at Caesarea Philippi. Remember that in Matthew 16, 13 to 9? Who the men said I am? Oh, some John the Baptist, some Elijah. He said, well, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. God, man. Wow. This is the orthodox views of Jesus. The word orthodox is made up of two words. Ortho means straight and correct. And the second doxa means opinion. But it came to be as doctrine. Together these words convey the right and correct truth about Jesus as opposed to the heresy of heterodoxy of a different kind. That's contrary to the norm of scripture. Jesus is the God-man. And to deny that 
or to corrupt that is to be of the Antichrist spirit. Wow. The confident identity of the spirit was familiar knowledge. They understood this. And so John has commanded the believer to examine the spirit of all teaching to confirm it is the spirit of God, not the spirit of Antichrist. The command to test the spirits of doctrine was taught and is taught continually. The clear acid test was based on the first coming of Jesus. The confident identity of the spirit was familiar knowledge. And it should be for us. Very, very clear. And so may God give us wisdom. The Bible is very clear about the Antichrist spirit. False Christ passed himself off as Christ. Antichrist have nothing to do with Christ. They deny everything. Absolutely everything. Lord, thank you for your grace and love your goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray you would just continue to teach us and instruct us as we examine your word to all things in life, especially today where everybody just believes and says anything. And Lord, there's the uh, pressure from society and everything else to just go along with the program. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're out there in the world somewhere, in the radio, listening. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to be born again if you want to see heaven. He died for your sins. He tasted death. He's the only one that can forgive you of your sins. And if you're out there, internet or the radio or here, if you want to be born again, repent from your sins. This is a simple prayer to God. And he's going to forgive you right now and make you his child by grace through faith. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.